focus today is on the theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible is in Christ. And sometimes scholars call it in Christ motif. In Christ motif. That's the theme of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God does not have many themes like you. Oh, we have this theme. And some of your themes are not actually themes. They are just topics. Uh, a theme is God's theme for mankind is just one. Is in Christ. Um, let me begin by making a statement. Jesus did not come on this planet to advise us. No. Advising people is good. You can advise them in your preaching. Even in your talk. There's no problem. But don't call that one God's work. God never came to advise us. He never came to motivate us. The sin problem did not require a motivation. Christ came not to advise us. Motivation is good. As teachers, you like what is called motivational talk. That's okay. You can have it, but don't confuse that one with the gospel. Motivation talk can be done by anybody. Christ did not come to advise us. To say, now ujaribu, ufanya hivi, keep the commandments, be good, then you see I've advised you, then you'll be saved. He didn't come for that. Christ came to save us. A person who is dying in water does not cry for an advisor. He cries for a savior. The reason why we call Jesus our savior is not because he has ability to save us. No. We call him savior because he has already saved us. That is why at that night the angel told Joseph when he was threatening to divorce Mary he told her, the angel told him she will give birth to a son and you shall call him Jesus. Why? Because he shall save his people from their sins. Not he might save. He shall do it. So I want today to open your eyes to know that in Christ 
we have already been saved. I want to know that. In Christ, our sins have already been forgiven. The Bible says, when Paul was writing one of the letters to the church in Corinth, he said, as in Adam, all die. The Kalenjin say, Tugul. When the Kalenjin say that, they are not vomiting. They are simply saying, nobody excluded. <laughs> if there's a Kalenjin here, he will agree with me. As in Adam, Tugul, all die. Please don't say, all good people. No. All. Both good and the bad die. That is why all the symmetry that we have bury together good and both good and the bad. They share the same symmetry. Both the rich and the poor share the same symmetry. In Adam, all die. Why? Because the word Adam does not mean an individual. Like Peter, John, James. No. The word Adam in Hebrew is Adama. And it simply means all human beings in one person. When God created Adam, all, all of us were in Adam. The whole human race was in Adam. Each one of us come from Adam with a particle of life that was originally in Adam. When God created Adam, he breathed in him the breath of life. When Adam sinned, that life that was in Adam became stained. It became sinful. So every person that comes out of Adam, he does not need a school to learn how to sin. Sinning is automatic. Even if you have not done it now, you wait. One day, you will do that which you condemn others for. There are some people who are very good at inspecting others. Christ did not die in heaven, did not die for us, so that we may be spiritual inspectors. No. He died so that we may become, so that we may become our brother's keeper. So, in Adam, Romans 5 verse 12 says, sin entered this planet through one man, and that man is Adam. And that sin spread to all. And he says, to know that it spread to all is that all die. Why do they die? Not because of corona, not because of malaria, but they die because of their sin in Adam. 
That's what Paul is saying in Romans 5 verse 12. You can look at it. Therefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that's how sin came. And that sin brought death, death by sin. That's a dative in Greek. And so death passed upon all men. Why? Because all have sinned in Adam. That's what the Bible teaches. You are not a sinner because you committed certain individual sin. No, you are a sinner because the life that you have came from Adam after he sinned. So we are all sinful, condemned to death. But God did something. He did something without our permission. And that's the greatest thing that he did. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son. He came in his divinity and landed on this planet in the womb called Mary. In Mary's womb, he landed there. And the divinity and the humanity were joined together in the womb for nine months. That joining together was the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is called incarnation. Then after nine months, he came, the child came out. Unto <coughs> us, a son is born. That uniting of divinity and the humanity is called incarnation. Elsewhere, it is called God with us. God with us does not mean you are standing here and God is standing there. That's the English meaning. In Greek, God with us means we in him. And incarnation was irreversible. It is the only thing that God never reversed. When he came, and he became, he joined the human family. He made him a member of the human family. And so he gave the human family hope. Why did God join the human family to Christ? He joined the human family to Christ so that the history of Christ could become our history. So that as he, when he died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. When he resurrected, we resurrected together with him. So that it is no longer I, but Christ. That is why the formula for Christian living is not I'm trying my best. No. The formula for Christian living is not I, but Christ. That is why in the Bible, you will never find a verse that says, Try very hard and enter in Christ. Not there. The verse that you will get instead is the verse that says, Abide in me. The word abide means you are already there. Remain in me. It means you are already there by God's act. So, that in Christ was an act that was done by God himself. 
That's why when you read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, you call it 1 Corinthians. We are not sure whether it was the first one, because Paul wrote several letters. There's a letter he wrote before that one, but that's, not, that's for another day. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you look at verse 30, look at what it says. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. Hey, quickly. Okay. It says, uh, uh, who is showing here? Could somebody be showing here? It takes time. Eh? <laughs> I wish you were quick. You know, with technology nowadays, you must be very quick. Just to chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. You just do this. And you get it. Yeah. It says, but of him, that is of God the Father, are you in Christ. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. That's a fact. You are in Christ. Jesus. Who, this Jesus, God has made him to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and our redemption. Can you say amen? amen? Why has he done this? Look at the next verse. In the next verse 31, he says, God has done this. Why? So that, oh man, this, this person is very slow. <laughs> I, I, I think get some two people or three who are a bit faster. Okay? Yeah. Don't you have people who do IT here? Yeah. You should be so quick. <laughs> okay. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Can you say amen? amen? That's what he has done. So that your boasting is in Christ, not in yourself. So he put us in him. So Christ became a member of the human family. And uh, there is a, a quotation by one of the widows. Somebody to pick for me this. One of the widows, uh, a 30-year-old widow. I believe that that widow was uh, inspired. Because I was reading one of her books and I think this widow was inspired. She's called... Uh, Ellen, Ellen G. White. Yeah. There's a book she wrote after 1888. The title is excellent. It is called Desire of Ages. The first chapter is called God with Us. And you can find it free on, on your internet because uh, the copyright years are over. So you can easily get it. When you look at, there's a paragraph that starts by, with these words. By his life and his death. It's talking about Christ. I'm reading that quotation here. From deserve ages, God with us. If you scroll down, there's a place that starts like this. By his life and his death. That's where it starts. Uh, it should be maybe page 25, paragraph 3. I'm not sure. Somewhere there. 
It says, by his life and his death, Christ has achieved even more than recovery from the ruin wrought through sin. This one means that what Christ has achieved is more than what we lost in Adam. That's what he's saying. Christ did not just come to redeem us and return us where we were before Adam fell. No. It's not like that. Okay, I'll teach you a bit. Uh, look here. Uh, in the order of existence as we know it from our side, we have top Godhead. Then it is followed by angel, angels. Then from angels, level three is man. Then from man, level four is animals. Then from animals, level five are plants. Then from plants, you go to the soil. That's the way it is. So when the man fell on level three, he didn't go up. He fell almost closer to the wild animals. That is why a man in the climax of sin is closer to an animal. You just need to read some newspapers and you'll get what it is. But this is what Christ did. He left the Godhead. He came not to the angel, but below the angels. And then he redeemed man. He did not redeem man to return him where he was before Adam fell. He was level three. But he took man and raised him up. Not where angels are, but above angels. And he made man to sit together with him on the right hand of God. So had Adam not sinned, we would still be number three. But because of redemption, we are seated together with him in heaven places. Can you say amen? amen. That's what he's saying. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, look at Ephesians 2. This was an act of God's love or mercy to us. Ephesians chapter 2. Quickly please, my time is over. You can see that man is putting up the finger already. Are you getting Ephesians 2? Okay, look look at Ephesians 2, verse, verse 4 or 6. Let me see. Ephesians 2, it says, but God. Hey! Is it verse 4? Yes. It starts this way. But God. Hey! That one alone, that first word, but. That one. One of the highest scholars, he was in England, he's called Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a medical doctor. He turned to be one of the greatest Protestant preachers of the time. When I was in England, I went to his church. He used to be in Westminster Abbey. He has written powerful commentary on, on Pauline epistles. And that word, but, alone, 
forms three chapters. Yes, chapter three, but. Chapter four, but. Chapter five, but. And you can't finish it. That word but means I'm moving you from darkness to light. So he says, but God. Eh. It's like somebody has been telling you the rough life he has gone through. Then he wants to tell you what God has done. says, eh. Lakini mungu. So Paul says, but God, who is rich in mercy. If he was writing today, he would have said, but God, who is a billionaire in mercy. It means you cannot exhaust God's mercy. You can't. When I was a youth director for East African Union, I worked there for 10 years. So I was in charge of Kenya and Somalia. So one time I took my, my uh, pathfinders to Mombasa. I took them to, to, the, to the ocean for them to see and enjoy. And we were on the shore. Then one of the children behaved funnily. He took, uh, he took, he had taken a cup. And it was this way. He took this a glass, but took a cup, and he was doing this. He was scooping water from the ocean, and throwing it there. Scoops this way. Others were enjoying swimming, but I noted him. So I went there. I said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm just trying to scoop." I said, "Yeah. So what?" He said, I want, before I leave here, to have reduced this ocean <laughs> by a certain, certain centimeters. So he went on, he said, if I scoop this way, I know the ocean has been reduced by a glass of water. Then I knew this young boy is a mathematician. And it makes sense. So I told him, why can't you do this? Instead of making it theoretical, take a stick. Just put there. Then mark where the ocean is reaching. Then as you scoop, <laughs> try to see if it is coming down. He told me, yes, you are right. That's, that's the best idea. So we put a stick there and we marked where the ocean was reaching. Then I said, now, go on now. I wish you good luck. I said, fine. So he scooped. He did this for about 10 minutes. I said, can you check? When he checked, he discovered something. Instead of the water going down, the water was actually increasing. Then he said, sir, I've noted, however much I do, you can't exhaust the ocean. I said, yes. You will never exhaust the ocean. That's what Paul is saying. If you think you can exhaust God's mercy, I wish you good luck. He says, because of his mercy, hey, because of his great love, and the word love is not the same word of love in English. In Greek, 
There are four words for love. It's only one. That's the problem. The New Testament was written in Greek. So when you are doing theological studies, we have to know Greek. In Greek, there are four words. One is stog. Stog means the love of the mother to the child. It's biological love. Your mother loves you because he bore you. If you take it to God, then you will say, God loves me because he created me. You have reduced God's love to stock. Another love is phileo. Phileo is the comrade's love. I love you because we are comrades. Okay? Yeah. It's the one when Jesus was asking Peter, do you agape on me? Peter was saying, Lord, you know that I phileo thee. But in English Bible, you cannot see that. So phileo is not the word used here. The third one is the word eros, from which you get the English word romantic. This is a love that is based on sexual attraction. It's a very poor love. When the sexual feeling is gone, everything evaporates. But in the Bible, there is one that is used. And that one is the word agape. Agape is the love that loves the unlovable. It is the unconquerable benevolence. It's the love that has no cause. When you ask God, why do you love me? He does not say, because you are promising. No. God just says, I love you. Because I myself am love. Paul says, because of that great love wherewith, and that love was not demonstrated when Christ was feeding the 5,000. No. Feeding 5,000 can be done by United Nations. It was demonstrated when he died on the cross. That's when that love was demonstrated. Even when we were dead in sins. Hey! Not after we were baptized. Even while we were still sinners. That's what he's saying. He has quickened us together with Christ. Can you say amen? amen? That's what he has done. By putting us in Christ, he quickened us together with Christ. So we have been quickened. That's what he's saying there. He has quickened us together with Christ. He says in brackets, this is an act of grace. You know, my people, many people are ignorant of the gospel. They confuse many things with the gospel. The gospel is not what you promise God you will do for him, however wonderful your promises are. The gospel is what God did for us in Christ outside our contribution. The gospel is not good advice. No. The gospel is good news of what God has already done in Christ for us outside our contribution. That's why Jesus told the disciples, you are the salt of the world. He don't say, 
try very hard and be the salt. No, he says to you, are the salt of the world. In Christ, we are. So he says, by grace, you are saved. And that's not enough. Look at verse 6. God has raised us up together. Hey! And not only that, he has made us sit together in heaven places in Christ Jesus. That's, he's talking of, of what God has done. He has done it. Now somebody will say, but if it is true, what am I doing here in Egypton? Why, not, why, not, why is it that I'm not there? Verse 7 says, these things I'm telling you are true. Not because you can feel it, but because God is saying it. But in the ages to come, verse 7, in the ages to come, hey, hey, God will show the exceeding riches of his grace when faith will become a tangible reality. May God lead you to be able to see this. Because of time, I want to just make very quickly. So he says here, let me read for you this quotation and finish it. In Christ, we become more closely united to God than if we had never fallen. Hey! In taking our nature, the Savior has bound himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. That means forever he will remain our brother. We are the only species in creation that share oneness with the Godhead. So he introduced in the Godhead an existence that was never there. It's a new existence, God-man. That's why one writer called W.W. Prescott, he says that existence was new and it's still there today. Paul calls it a new name above every name. He said, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow down. So he, we are closely united than if we had never fallen. The talk in heaven today is not your failures. Heaven is not saying, lakina mejaribu wan. Kama mjamu gina sema, ni mejaribu wan. Isa mrekumi, ni meshika sita. Lakini mwaka jana, iya saba ilinteleza gidogo, lakini I'm trying. No, we don't live by that. The talk today is our redemption story. How the Lord has led us. And then he comes, he says here, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting what? life. Now, he gave him not only to bear our sins. That's not the, the major reason why Christ came. It was not even to die as our sacrifice. But he gave him to the human race. He gave him to become one of the human family forever to retain his human nature. Can you say amen? So, when we shall go to heaven, we may meet angels with wings. Angels with eyes everywhere. Angels that can move sideways and this way. But when you look around, you will see one who has nose like you, eyes like you, hair like you. And you will see him saying, Hey, Mary, 
How is Egerton? Because he was once on this planet. That one who looks like us is Jesus Christ. He became a member of the human family for how long? Forever. That's why John says at the second coming of Christ, I saw billions and trillions of angels, but in the middle was one like the Son of Man. So he has retained the same forever. I wish I had time to let you know how good news this is. So in Christ, I want to let you know, in Christ, uh, our sins have been forgiven. Can you say amen? In Christ, our names have already been written in heaven. I'm helping somebody here who believes that no, I need to try very hard so that my name can be written there. No. If you read the book of Luke 10 verse 20, Jesus told the disciples while they were still imperfect. I think Luke, Luke 10 verse 20 or 20 verse 10. I should be somewhere there. Luke 10 verse 20. I wish you had, but it's very slow. In Luke, Luke 20, is it 20 verse 10? Yes. Yeah, I know our time is over. He says, no, should be 20. Luke 10, verse 20, not verse 2. He says, he was telling the disciples, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice. Hey, look at the last statement. Rejoice. Why? Because your names, in Greek says, your names are already written where? In heaven. And they were not yet perfect. They were not perfect. They were still weakling. God is not saying, I'm waiting until when you are perfect, then I will write. Instead, what God will say is, if you refuse to believe what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through Pastor Wamalika, and you refuse, then your name will be blotted out. The word blotted means your name previously is written. You cannot blot out something which is not already there. And there are many verses I would have given you. I would have given in Philippians. You will get it. I will give you in Hebrews. So our names have been written in heaven. Because of that, you are God's child. Therefore, walk like the child of God. Live like the child of God. Don't walk like the child of God so that you may become the child of God. No. You walk like a child of God because you are already the child of God. And the child of God does not walk thinking of the failure he did yesterday. We walk with our minds focused on what Christ has done for us. I'm praying that you'll be open your eyes. Come in the afternoon. I'm going to be with you this afternoon. I'll take one hour to explain this. And let me tell you, you will never get it anywhere. I'm speaking to you. I know what I'm saying. I know what is there commonly in the local churches. Many things that you hear in the local churches are not the gospel. They are simply good advice to good people. <laughs> but I'm coming this afternoon to give you the word of God. By the end of the day, you'll be able to speak like Paul 
for me to live is Christ. And to die because of that conviction is gain. I'm committing you in the Lord's hand that the Lord may bless you, that the Lord may lift you up, that the Lord may bless, especially single parents who are supporting some of you. Some of you are children of the single parents. Some of you are brought up by widows. Some of you are orphans. Some of you have all the challenges. But come this afternoon. I'm not just going to give you hope. I'm going to give you good news of our great God. And anybody whose heart is broken, I'm telling you, come. Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. Anybody who is discouraged, come. Because God is faithful. That now that you may know him, that you may impress him, that you may walk together with him, is my humble prayer in Jesus' name.